me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees, the moon up above, and a thing called love. Let me tell you about the stars in the sky, the girl and the guy, and the way that Hello, and welcome back to Hive Mind, the podcast for beekeepers by a beekeeper. It has been a while since I've produced a new episode, and I would like to be frank with you. Um, I've taken a break from beekeeping, and I honestly felt it a disservice to produce an episode for quite some time without actively overseeing a hive. But, um, some time passed, and I eventually felt it may be more of a disservice to my listeners and the podcast overall. Um, we have just surpassed 3,000 listeners, so thank you to each and every one of you, whether you're new, uh, a new listener, an old listener, somewhere in between, welcome back, and if you're listening because you're interested in bees, or if you simply just like the sound of my voice, that's okay too. Today's episode is in honor of World Bee Day. This is something that I think everyone, whether you're a beekeeper or not, should be aware of. The bees are an endangered species, and I want to spend this World Bee Day spreading awareness and really the cause and effect of what we are doing to our world and the repercussions that we may be taking on in years to come. The Bee Informed website hosts a law survey each year representing one in every 10 hives across the U.S. And in the most recent report, they found a 45% loss average in hives between April 2020 and April 2021. Keep in mind, the previous year's average was around 39%. The only consistent variable was the year-to-year winter losses. Generally, those range from 5 to 10% in winter months, and that's even for the most ideally placed and healthiest of hives. Now these losses can be fueled by greedy beekeeping, unhealthy brood and elderly queen, or hive robbing. In the winter months, these would be a worst case scenario, but two major items are impacting the overall health of all pollinators, especially the bee population. I'd like to discuss one of the biggest hot button topics right now, and one of the most frequent articles that I seem to come across whenever the bee decline is mentioned. And this would be pesticides. Now, per Greenpeace, the companies Bayer, Dow, Monsanto, and DuPont control nearly 90% of the world's market in genetically modified pesticides. These chemicals are brought back to a hive via a worker bee who's harvesting pollen. These worker bees are exposed on said plants and crops, and the neonicotinoids are eventually transferred into the brood via feeding. These exposed brood, in turn, grow developmentally impaired and deformed. Eventually, if they do hatch, their sense of direction and communication are completely stunted, and they eventually grow to be disorientated. 
Now, you could simply imagine some of the bees supporting large fields and crops of fruit trees that would receive this type of pesticide treatment, eventually becoming so disorientated to their home hive that they wouldn't be able to return. Um, and that's, that is if they're even able to develop fully enough to leave the hive to begin with. Beyond that, imagine the challenges of the urban bee colony. There's little pollen or water resources around. And if a hive is found swarming or building a new home, generally a human will remove them. And I can only really hope that the majority of these swarms are being left untouched if they're in a decent location or at the very, very least relocated professionally by a beekeeper. Now, if these bees are able to find an ideal location where they will be unbothered, or if they are managed hives, they will need to find enough pollen resources to live between the concrete, steel, and the ever-expanding sea of human development. One common question is, what would happen if all of the world's bees went extinct? They are endangered, after all. But what would truly happen are plants, trees, and flowers would eventually develop fewer and fewer seeds over the years. This in turn would completely alter ecosystems, our agricultural systems, and what many people don't realize, many, many food webs across these ecosystems. Cherries, certain nuts, and blueberries rely on 90% bee-specific pollination. Hand pollination is possible. However, in a case where there were no bees left, I'd like you to imagine the prices. Cherries, nuts, and blueberries would become luxury items. Now, one alternative would be robotics. The National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology in Japan has apparently developed a pollinating drone, which involved attaching horsehair bristles to a remote-controlled drone the size of a small staple remover. They then coated the bristles with a gel that allows them to gather pollen from both flowers and plants and then distributes them as a honeybee would. I found a video on YouTube of one of the drones essentially slapping a flower before skittering to the ground. So what can you try to do to help? Well, if you're a beekeeper, you know that May is a very important month for you and your hive. You have an assigned set of duties. Most importantly is food management and the monitoring of possible honey robbing from outside colonies, especially after the late winter months. Another important thing to gauge while evaluating your hives after a dearth season would be the quality of your colony. Is there evidence of brood? Is there honey? Or is the comb dry and bare? If there is honey, is it from the previous season or is it fresh? This can be indicated by the smell, texture, or crystallization of the honey. And by looking at these portions of your hives, you can gauge how well your colony is going to prosper in the summer months ahead. By now, you should be providing supplemental nutrition resources to your bees via a one-to-one -one sugar water ratio. If you have a new queen, or if your colony is lacking in numbers, consider providing your bees with an additional vitamin concentrate that you can mix directly into your sugar water ratio. Additionally, remember to keep your bees hydrated. Make sure there are plenty of water resources for your bees. 
Take this time to also clean the baseboard if you haven't already. Keep in mind, if your bees are in good shape, they may have done this already. However, it's something that you need to check. You never know if a lizard or perhaps a mouse has crawled up in the hive during the winter months and eventually passed. Sometimes these creatures can be covered in a layer of propolis, which is completely natural and is the bee's way of keeping a sterile environment. However, it's best to remove these objects altogether. This is also a good time to check if you have queen cups in place or if you can verify that you found your queen. If there are queen cups in place, you need to prepare yourself and your hive for the arrival of a new queen. You can purchase a new queen from a fellow beekeeper or apiary, or you can wait for the hive to essentially create and hatch their new queens. I've covered that process in an earlier episode. However, if you are purchasing a queen, you do want to make sure that she is from a similar climate, if not the same area that you are currently keeping your bees. Introducing a new queen into the hive is always a delicate process, and there is no promise that the hive is going to accept a foreign queen. I myself prefer to allow the hive to hatch and select their new queen. However, keep in mind, if their hive is currently weak and starving, she may not have the strength to mate. All of these variables shape the trajectory of a hive in the coming honey flow season. For a beekeeper, May is the time for work, patience, and hope. Speaking of beekeeping, over the course of the pandemic, I found that more and more people were turning to beekeeping as a hobby. I think it gave people something inspirational. I think it gave people something inspirational and productive to do over the course of the pandemic. This is something I do appreciate seeing, and I'm excited that more and more people are discovering this amazing hobby. However, with that being said, I truly hope the individuals taking responsibility for these hives take it with the patience and passion required for the job, especially with the reports of how rapidly our bee population is declining. One other theory regarding the bee decline is ballooning of the bee populations. Per the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Services, there has been a recently found increase in the overall total number of demand for managed hives. This is driven primarily by the demand for almond pollination. The study was conducted in California and suggested that some beekeepers will buy more queens to split their hives to develop more colonies in order to meet the production demands for these almond producers. This greedy method of beekeeping can be detrimental to the hives if food stores are not adequate or if the brood quality is lacking. This is the ultimate form of pushing your bees to the breaking point, and I would put this akin to a beekeeper that cuts their honey with corn syrup or sources from another location, yet deems their supply local. I feel any listener, beekeeper or not, can also consider planting a very well-rounded garden of beets, beans, cabbage, tomato, peas, kale, turnips, lettuce, spinach, garlic, Swiss chard, parsnips, carrots, onions, and various herbs. 
This will help our pollinators find additional sources of pollen, as well as your pocketbook. The staple list of crops comes from what was once known as a victory garden during both World War I and World War II. In fact, Eleanor Roosevelt planted a victory garden on the White House lawn in 1943. However, it's noted she did not tend it herself, and I couldn't help but notice it's no longer there. Yesterday, the Victory Garden reserved industrial crops for the U.S. troops in the processed food market. Today, I would like them to represent the victory over industrialized and pesticide-covered crops, as well as the ever-expanding human grip on the planet's ecosystem. I suppose you could also call it a victory against paying for overpriced organic produce at the supermarket, or better yet, avoid paying for the gas to drive yourself there. If they grow in your area, you may also consider planting corn, squash, and beans. This is a common example of companion planting that originates in Mesoamerica. The teaching of the three sisters has traveled north over the river valleys over many, many, many years. Traditionally, a mound would be created in the spring months that would contain corn and bean seeds. In areas of poor soil, fish could also be buried within the mound to act as a fertilizer. The squash is then planted between the mounds and eventually develops large leaves to shade the ground in turn providing additional moisture and acting as a weed deterrent for the companion plants. It's also said that the prickly hairs of the squash can hinder or frighten pests. The beanstalk provides additional defense for the corn, who in turn provides a trellis for the beans. Um, these two are then more wind sturdy. Finally, one of the simplest things you can do for World Bee Day, or any day for that matter, is to educate your fellow humans about these small winged pollinators and their importance to our Earth and our ecosystem. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy cereal grains, as one day we may only yield crops pollinated by the breeze. With that being said, plant some flowers, and until next time, be safe and be happy. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same. There's a pink one and a green one and a blue one and a yellow one and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same and the people in the houses all went to the university where they were put in boxes and they came out all the same and there's doctors and lawyers and business executives and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same